So today the reading is Luke 22:47, and that's on page 1058 of the Church Bibles. So beginning at verse 47, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside. And wept bitterly. Well, um, how was that? How was actually uh, saying the creed this evening? I mean, here at church, with your friends, with the church family. Did you manage to get the words out? With confidence? It's all okay, wasn't it? It's good. But then how about saying exactly the same words tomorrow morning? How about with your friends tomorrow morning or to a best friend over coffee tomorrow morning or uh, maybe to work colleagues around the water cooler tomorrow morning or maybe at the school gate in a couple of weeks' time? I guess in that situation... 
we'd all feel a little bit different, wouldn't we? We'd all feel rather more tense about it. And I guess many of us would, well, frankly, rather not have to say the creeds if it's just us and them. Well, we're in good company. Uh, this evening, as, uh, as we read just earlier on, um, we've got the Apostle Peter, who not only kept his mouth shut, but actually even completely denied that he even knew Jesus. Well, we're going to get to Peter's denial in just a bit. Uh, Peter's denial is, as we'll see, the, the fifth step down a dark staircase. And it's a dark staircase. I want you to imagine you're looking down this. We're on the top now, and we're looking down a dark staircase. The steps are made of stone. Uh, it's damp. They've got that kind of smell of, uh, uh, of a dark, damp place. You can't see the bottom, but you're apprehensive as you look down. There's a rusting handrail there as it disappears down into the darkness. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now as we look at Luke chapter uh, 22 and that chunk that Elena read for us earlier on from verse 47. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to in our minds and in our hearts, go to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to feel it, to see it, to understand it, and to apply these things to our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this evening we're going down uh, a steep, dark, damp staircase, and we're walking down it with Jesus and we're seeing that we're going down that we may go up. Or if you like, he's going down that we might go up. Uh, up to heaven. Not, of course, that we're down here and heaven is up there. Um, that's a rather old-fashioned kind of uh, idea. But uh, Jesus trod this staircase so that we might be with him in heaven. That is what we're thinking about this evening in this new heaven and a new earth. And in order that we may go there with him, he trod a treacherously dark staircase. And we'll see the steps of this this evening. The first step is this. It's degeneration. Degeneration. Look at verses 46, 47 rather, and 48. And it's talking here about uh, Judas. Now, everyone thinks of Judas, and you look in verse 48, for instance, and we think, yeah, betrayal. He is the man who betrayed Jesus. But actually, we should get a slightly bigger picture of this, because it's not just betrayal. We're thinking here about degeneration. Or actually, it's almost a decomposition of Judas's life, his spiritual life. Now, in the New Testament, there are a number of uh, New Testament lists of the apostles, of the twelve. And the order of the apostles varies within those lists, apart from two fixed points. The first one is that the first person on the list, every time it comes in the New Testament, is the apostle Peter. And the last person in every list of the uh, twelve in the New Testament 
is Judas. Peter's always at the top. Judas is always at the bottom. And as we see him here, his life is degenerating for money. He's made this arrangement with the Jewish religious leaders that when he arrived in the dark at the Garden of Gethsemane, they'd know who it was they had to arrest because he would go up to this man, Jesus, and kiss him. A deliberate and a planned betrayal. But this is Judas. You see in the uh, uh, middle of verse 47 there, he's one of the twelve. He's one of Jesus' inner circle. He is one of the uniquely privileged people in history. And he has agreed to betray Jesus. You can see here, well, not just here, but this is part of his degeneration of his spiritual life or the decomposition of his spiritual life. Now, Luke gives no details of the kiss. Matthew and Mark describe it a little bit more. Mark even suggests that it's, it's somewhat prolonged, is what he was intending to do. And the, uh, the original Greek word for kiss here comes from the same root as love. It may have been a customary greeting, not dissimilar to the way that we might shake hands with someone, but it was a diabolical betrayal of Jesus. The victim, the first step down which Jesus took was being betrayed by degeneration or even the spiritual decomposition of one of the twelve. And Jesus took that step down for you and for me as he headed down the steps on this dark, dark staircase to the cross i want us to live in awe of this jesus because we know that he went down that staircase for us and i want to ask us to ask god that we would never ourselves walk down those five steps or any of those five steps and that we would be in awe of jesus Because as we shall see, he was in total control of what was happening. And he walked deliberately down, well, as we see here, these five steps. Most people despise Judas in one way and another. I suppose one of the signs of that is no one calls their son Judas, do they? I've never come across a Judas. Maybe you have. But most of us think, I hope we'd all think, I'd never want to act like that. The thing is, there's a danger that we can, though. And to some extent, we do. Yes, so, so for instance, if you're, if you're having a bad time spiritually and your Christian life is going downhill, let's be honest, then you could say, couldn't you, that your Christian life is degenerating. And actually, we could betray Jesus or be close to betraying him, couldn't we? Say tomorrow morning. It's not impossible. And then if we do, we'll feel like we're pushing Jesus down the staircase or that our sin is pushing Jesus down these steps to his death. 
And maybe there's a time for us to, to repent, to confess our unbelief, the state of our spiritual life, and to ask Jesus for help. And there's no time like the now if we feel that we need to do that and to perhaps to pray with someone over coffee and to get going, to get back on the bike again with the Lord Jesus. Going down for us, going down that we might go up. That first step down, as we see in Jesus, is a step of degeneration. The second step that we see here in verses 49 to 51 is when they turned up and we see there's a possibility of deflection. That is Jesus being deflected from what he came to do. Now in verse 49, we see there were at least two of Jesus' followers had swords. Maybe it was every single one of them, but it's certainly two when you look at what it says there. And uh, the word for sword there, that apparently Romans had two types of sword, a big, long, cumbersome thing and a short one, that, that kind of length. And uh, the word here is for the shorter one. It's more accurate, used in closer combat. And uh, one of them, John actually tells us it was Peter, does what we see in verse 50. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. A lot of blood involved. This wasn't just clean and a nice kind of ear on the ground. It would have fallen in the dirt and so on. And there would have been blood all over the show. In fact, it may have been that uh, uh, this guy, uh, Malchus, John tells us, uh, would have had one of those Roman helmets which kept the ears free. And it may be that Peter went to uh, actually slice his head in two. But his uh, sword got deflected by the helmet, went down the side and took us off his ear uh, instead. We don't know. Um, but it's uh, uh, whatever exactly happened there, it was a potential deflection of Jesus' purpose. They could have had a fight. Maybe all the disciples would have had swords. Maybe the disciples might have won. And then what would have happened if that, if that had gone on on that evening? What would have happened then? Well, Jesus would have been branded an outlaw, a traitor, a leader of rebellion. And he would have died for that. And not as a sacrificial lamb of God. No, Jesus, our saviour, must be killed as the lamb, the spotless lamb of God, not as the leader of rebellion. So verse 51, Jesus says, no more of this. And he touched a man's ear and healed him. The bleeding stops. The ear is reattached. You'd never know that there'd been a little outbreak of violence. You see this? Jesus could have been deflected from what he was coming to do by Peter's rash moment of madness. Our salvation in the balance because of Peter's rash moment of madness. So thank God that Jesus made amends. Thank God that his disciples did what they were told. When Jesus said, no more of this, they stopped. And as Jesus healed the high priest's servants here, and then he calmly let himself get arrested because his purpose was to go down. That he would not be deflected, but his purpose was to go down, 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 and to the cross 
at the end. He did not want to be branded as someone whose followers were getting involved in GBH. That he was a man who was a traitor. He was a man who was treasonous. He would already be the kind of person who would be strung up on a cross for rebellion against the Romans as a murderer, for instance. No, Jesus died for us. And he would not be deflected from that. So he took this second step. And then we see the third one here of darkness. Look at verses 52 and 53. Jesus said to the high priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, strange they should have all the uh, chief guys out in the middle of the night. I'm lead- am I leading a rebellion that you should have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Your hour. J.C. Ryle said, when he, Jesus, was led forth to Calvary, it was their hour. When he rose victorious from the grave, it was his. Well, the hour of darkness here, when Jesus says, this is your hour, when darkness reigns, literal and symbolic. He was arrested at night time. It was dark. And, uh, uh, and there was darkness when he died on the cross. And Jesus says, now darkness reigns. And the devil here is busy. This is his work. And one guy I read has said this, it is so stupid of modern civilization to have given up believing in the devil when he is the only explanation of it. And you can see his paw prints all over what was going on in his lead up to the crucifixion here. And uh, Jesus deliberately steps down into darkness. Because as he dies, he knows that there will be a cosmic battle with evil, with the devil, as Jesus is crucified. He didn't avoid it. He took the step down towards the cosmic battle with evil that the next morning would see as he died for you and for me. Going down. Jesus going down that we might go up, going down through the degeneration of one man, going down through uh, this possibility of being deflected by Peter stepping in with violence, going down to a deliberate confrontation with the evil. And we thank our Lord Jesus and we live in awe of our Lord Jesus that he battled evil on our behalf deliberately and he won. So degeneration, deflection, darkness. And then we see desertion, verses 54 and verse 55. They led him away. Peter was uh, brave and foolhardy with the sword. And then in verse 54, Jesus is seized. And his disciples mostly disappear. They've gone. Judas presumably went back into Jerusalem with the chief priest, the temple security team, and so on. Peter, you see in verse 54 there, he followed at a distance. Some have said that, uh, uh, that, that Peter's following at a distance was actually symbolic of the difficulty that he had 
when they asked him if he was one of Jesus' followers. If it means following close up, if he'd stay close to Jesus in reality and metaphorically as well, or spiritually as well, um, then he would have had, uh, he would have been much stronger in standing up and saying, yes, I actually am one of his. But he followed at a distance. And then uh, in John's gospel in chapter 18 and verse 15, we see that John was there as well. So you've got Peter, John, Judas. What about the other nine? Where do they go? Well, Mark chapter 14 says they deserted Jesus and they fled. And the cross of Christ is very lonely. It's quickly, so quickly, everyone is being stripped away and Jesus is left alone. And in a moment, Peter denies Jesus. But at this point, as we'll leave the Garden of Gethsemane, the others have already gone. It's a very lonely road that Jesus trod. And in the end, only he could tread it. But his support is disintegrating. Being deserted. And this fourth step down towards the cross is desertion. Jesus was being deserted as he headed to the cross. And he's going down to that loneliest of all places where he was abandoned by everyone and even by his heavenly father. He was deserted by all. Down to that place. That we may go up to share glory, the new heaven and the new earth with him. With multitudes, countless multitudes of the saved worshipping their saviour. Jesus is not lonely now. He will not be lonely ever in eternity. And Christian people will not be lonely now or in eternity. But to get there. And for us to get there, Jesus trod the deserted road, the lonely road for you and for me. Live in awe of this Jesus. And let's pray that we would never be those who desert him or deny him. Or who would desert or deny our fellow believers. Jesus going down the generation of Judas. That possible deflection by Peter's violence. The darkness as he will confront evil. And desertion by all. And then the fifth step we see is denial. And this is well known, verses 55 to 62 here. This is Peter, the leader of the early church. Now, people describe Peter in various ways. Uh, Someone who who only ever opened his mouth to change feet, someone said. Or uh, someone else described him as a headstrong, unbridled hulk 
always getting into trouble and causing his master plenty of the same. Someone else said, Peter, a Yorkshireman. And Jesus uh, has told him, hasn't he, before the cock crows, chapter 22, verse 34, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he does. Even strong, headstrong, sword-flailing Peter denies Jesus three times. So how come Peter ended up there? How come he got to that situation? Well, the short answer is gradually, step by step, in fact. Now, there was some pride in his heart, for instance. I'll never deny you, even if everyone else does. There was some prayerlessness in the garden of Gethsemane. Kept on falling asleep when he could and should have been praying. There was indecision. He ran, he stayed, he fought, he followed. What's the right thing to do? There was following from a distance when he could have been much closer. Some would say there was some bad company around the fire in verse 55 in the courtyard there. There's fear in verse 56. When you look in verse 56... Um, uh, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And given their culture in those days, this is a servant girl, okay? And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Now, Peter, you could stand up to a servant girl. In their culture, you can do that, Peter, surely. Did she recognize him? Did his accent give him away? Or maybe his complexion? He came from up north, and they speak a bit different from up there, and they're a bit darker skinned. Well, they were in Galilee. And three times, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. A lesson for us here. I think the lesson is the same as that little phrase about looking after our money. You know, look after the pennies. And the pounds look after themselves. Peter had a huge failure here. But leading up to it, there were lots of little steps, lots of little failures, lots of things he could have done a little bit better. Lots of little things he could have done to stop the big disaster happening. You know, adultery, for instance, begins with a thought. And then another thought, and then a look, and then another thought, and then a plan, and then an unwise text, or a Facebook message, and then a foolish meeting. And the way to avoid adultery is to look after the pennies. There are lots of things you could stop there before you get to the big moment. Well, how do you stop your bad language? Seems to me it's interesting that uh, uh, perhaps it's just me, but I, I reckon some of, uh, let's say, our millennial generation within Christian circles are much more happy at using what I would say is inappropriate language than uh, uh, an older people of my generation say. It's interesting, isn't it? 
But how do we, uh, how come in a Christian culture those things become acceptable? Well, maybe we should be avoiding some of the bad company where that happens. Maybe we should not be reading this stuff or watching this stuff where there is swearing and blasphemy. Um, maybe we should be saying we're not going to have it in our particular group of Christian friends and so on. And you see lots of little things. Look after the pennies. The pounds will look after themselves. And Peter, look after the pennies. And the pounds will look after themselves. And then Peter, in the end, he cracked, didn't he? And he crashed. And he was crushed. So look in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. We're not sure if Jesus was coming out of one room and walking across the courtyard or whether Jesus had already all the time been in the corner of the courtyard. We're not quite sure. But the fact is, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And this is just after the cock had crowed. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, it's important for us to know, isn't it, of course, that Jesus specifically and deliberately reinstates Peter in John 21. And he was restored. And he's written, for instance, 1 and 2 Peter. And it was used hugely by Jesus. He led the early church. He preached the first Christian sermon and so on. So uh, if you've had a crushing failure, be assured there is a way back. There can be a fruitful future. But it's best to avoid it in the first place. Look after the pennies, and the pounds will look after themselves. So, for instance, just thinking about ourselves, about going down, Jesus going down, that we might go up. But um, how would you complete that sentence? I'm just like Peter in the way I... Maybe it's just a little thing. But look after the pennies, so that the pounds will look after themselves. Or maybe you might want to complete that sentence. I let God down when? And again, maybe it's just a little thing. Just a little thing, but a repeated thing. And you want to pray to the Lord that he'd help you with that. You want to look after the pennies. Or maybe I failed to keep the promise I made to God when? Or maybe that was years ago. And you want to pray about that as well. Tell me, why do you think this is bit is in the Bible? Why is Peter's denial in the Bible? I think it's because any one of us can deny Jesus. Big time. You? Me? Any one of us. And I think it's also here because Jesus is in utter control of the situation. Just look at verse 61 again. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And I think it's here because it reminds us that Jesus died 
for people who can do things like this. Jesus died for Peter as he died for you and for me. And I think it's here because it reminds us the bright shining lights that there is a future. There's still a future. And I think it's here overall because I think this helps us to live in awe of the Jesus who is going down those steps that we might go up, that we might have a future. And so we've seen that Jesus uh, went down. He's going down here those steps that we might go up. Oops. Oh, that's interesting. I thought I'd added a slide at the end. Never mind. And uh, this um, Jesus went down. He went down the steps of uh, uh, the degeneration of Judas's spiritual life. He went down through this, uh, avoiding this being deflected by, uh, by Peter's rash actions there. He went down through darkness, facing, confronting uh, the devil as he came uh, to uh, do all he could to prevent what was this was going on. He went down through the desertion of his closest group of friends. And he went down through denial as Peter himself, the one who would later lead the church, but had this terrible denial. And you could see it just building up to that. So five steps down to the cross where he died for our sin and where he changed our eternity. Let's thank the Lord Jesus that he went through that for us deliberately, purposefully to die for our sin that we may go to be with him in heaven for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we trace these steps of yours here, we are filled with awe that you would go through this and the uh, the desertion, the denial that what Judas did, what Peter tried to do, obviously with good intentions. And when darkness was having its day, the Lord Jesus, thank you and we praise you that you went through that for us. And we pray, Lord, as we look ahead to this week and to next weekend and to next Sunday, that you would fill us once more with awe at all that you have done for us, for our salvation and for our eternity. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.